Hey, my name is Josh Chambers. And I'm Leif Parton. And welcome to How Humans Change. Every episode, we speak with someone who has undergone some kind of change, and we get the backstory. This episode, we spoke with Katie Sutherland. The year Katie turned 30, her sister, who had Down syndrome, passed away. When her sister passed, Katie was quite literally given the permission to move on. And this resulted in Katie's making some big changes across her life. We talk about career, the Enneagram, changing life values, shifting careers, what it's like to turn 30, and what it was like to grow up as a caretaker and to be loved unconditionally by her sister. Katie is a fantastic personal trainer. She herself has thought quite a bit about change and how it works as her career is helping people make changes in their own life. So she had a very unique and interesting perspective throughout all of this. She's a figure skater, a sister, a wife, a mom, wonderfully kind, and as you'll hear, was incredibly transparent throughout our conversation. For that, we are very grateful. We laughed, we cried, and we hope you do too. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. We've got lots of other great episodes coming soon. If you or if you know anyone that's undergone some major change in life and would love to talk about it, uh, reach out at howhumanchange.com. Perfect. So why don't you just start with real quick your name, the whole, the little bio thing. Cool. I'm Katie Sutherland. Welcome, Katie. Thanks. I am a mom, uh-huh. a wife. How a lot of things. How long have you been married? 13 years. Ooh, Ooh, not bad. I think 2003. Yeah, I'm in my 13th year. 13, 14 years. So you're 13 going on 14. Yeah, because when you're a baby, you know, you don't count until your first year. Correct. So really, I'm in, in, in my 14th so you're in year. Your 14th in year. my 14th year, which is pretty impressive. Wait, I'm confused. So, because we've been, we've been 12. Not important. We'll, well, it's very not, important. No. We'll, be married, we'll no. be married 12 years in August. So I'm in my 12th year right now. For, yeah. Or I'm in my third. So when I hit 12, I'll be starting my 13th year. When you hit 12, year. you're 13, really. Oh, uh, okay. Which is, I think, okay. important. Oh, yeah. Does one of the Asian countries. This is not good stuff. One of the Asian countries, don't they do. Oh, we're not bringing them into it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's, I'm going to piss someone off, but doesn't one of the, I feel like it's Japan starts when you're born, you're one. Are you? One that's of the countries That's so much does cooler. This. I'm pretty sure. Because you don't even count until your first birthday. Well, regardless, I've been married 13 years right? officially. Yeah. And that's pretty rad. And I've lived in Minnesota my whole life, really, except for that college stint in Wisconsin. Okay. Hmm. And two kids. Yeah. Two kids. Born and raised in Minnesota. Both, both how old? 12 and nine. And which one's your favorite? For rad. That's a really valid question. (laughs) It depends on the day. So understandable. Um, and the moment, you know, which one loves me more? Which one's giving me more? <laughs> Which one's giving me? It's all about me, really, when it comes to them. Oh, that was true. I'm uh, a 12-year-old, and that's pretty fun. Middle school, which is like, who are you as a parent when you get it, become a middle school? Mm-hmm. That, it goes back to identity. Who am I? Who really am I? Yeah, who are you, Katie? That's, I know, right? Let's figure that out by the end of the hour. I think that that's... I would be so relieved. <laughs> so you are... Um, just for everyone listening, a really talented personal trainer who works at a gym. You guys train Minnesota Vikings. You're an amazing trainer. You've been doing that for how many years? I've been training, uh, certified officially and training for 14 years. And you were a skating coach before that. I was a professional figure skater and a skating coach. And so I, I really did that in conjunction. A lot of who I was was what I grew up doing, which was skating. And I really wanted to work with athletes. I really love helping people. But I discovered I also really like being valued by people. <laughs> what are you talking about? Okay. I know, well, right? one of the... Um, so when we first started talking for your benefit too, we were talking about, hey, maybe you should come in and talk about health because you have a lot of expertise around yes. helping people make physical changes. Yes. But as we started talking, I we started talking about more of you and the changes you've gone through, and I'm super excited about the year you turned 30. So I was wondering, yeah. like, we could talk about that because there's... Like you, if I'm not mistaken, you changed careers, you moved to a new house, 
you took a personality test that basically reframed how you thought about yourself, a sibling passed away, you had like huge conflict with your parents, kind of at all, and you turned 30, which as we know is when women just start declining. I know, my my body just (laughs) fell down. Really, everything went <laughs> pointed the wrong <laughs> down. <laughs> That's what one of my friends told me. She said, you'll, you'll turn 30. And I was like, do you know me? That's not happening. That's not happening. That's not happening. That's not happening. Mother. Okay. So to start things off, to give people a little bit of context of, we're going we're gonna to end with like, what was 30 like? What's been, what's, what led up to that? What's it been like after that? But to give people some context and just kind of warm things up for who you are. What were you like in high school? Oh gosh, I think everybody who in whoa, I think everybody in high school would say I was really just the nice. I was a nice girl. People liked me. Generally, I had a sidekick. Her name was Katie too. We both were Katie H's. Katie H, Katie High, Hillacue, and Katie Ha, Katie Hartman. Really? We kind of yeah. Oh yeah, this is a real thing. So people called you Katie High. Katie squared, and we sat by each other and. I feel like she, my friendship with her really was a opportunity for me to not be afraid to go or do anything or be anywhere. I'm eternally grateful for her for loving me. Do you still know her? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I'm going to see her next she, week. Oh, really? Yeah. How, what, did you guys meet in high school? We met in, in seventh grade. So you were really sweet. Everybody loved you. Was there any like a, like, was there any not sweet loving side? So- no, there were definitely adversarial moments in yeah. childhood, for sure. But they didn't involve you, like, jumping off of a roof high on cocaine? Well, I didn't have access to cocaine. I just didn't have enough money. <laughs> <laughs> but I did drink a lot of Mountain Dew. But there may have been. <laughs> okay, so high school was, like, you and Katie squared. <laughs> totally. And you're... One thing probably very few people know about you, or a lot of people, I don't know. Do people know that you were an excellent skater and were on your way to maybe doing that professionally? Was that a... I think that that is really a thing that comes up a lot somehow. I feel like it's, an, well, you know, it's kind of in my bio. It's, yeah. it's like when people ask any... It's a huge part of my personal sure. fabric. Yeah. Can't even... Well, especially as a trainer. Yeah. Because I... I have a similar sports ice yeah. professional background, but you know, what I do, it's like, it's definitely not. It doesn't come up, no. but it comes up all the time. That's one of the favorite things people like to talk to about. I mean, really? you could be like doing such cool things and people like, you were a figure skater. <laughs> what did you think of the, what was the movie, The, the Cutting Edge? Was it The Cutting Edge? The Topic movie? Topic. Yeah. What, what was that movie called? You didn't watch this movie? Missed it. Oh, that's a shame. Neither Josh or I liked this movie because he was the hockey player and I was the figure skater and the right. plan- planchenko, is that what it was called? The panchenko or yeah. something? There was this move that was like... Oh. He like threw her in the all air. All laws of physics completely yeah. defied it. Oh, sure, sure, sure. He basically threw her sideways at yeah. an upward angle, just... which would like... And somehow she came down straight. Obviously, like, like a cat. Like, like a hovercraft, like straight down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved, I loved that what movie. What movie was, was that called? Cutting edge. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, okay. you're right. Okay, so uh, pre pre high school, if you this is totally putting you on the spot, but if you could think of a story or two that sort of summarized, like gave us insight into your childhood, it was super cool and super crazy. I look back and I think I was nine and I was doing that. That being figure skating. <laughs> that or? being uh, turning on an oxygen tank and putting it over my sister's face and calling nine one one and completely calmly letting them into my house while she seizured and totally normal. That was normal childhood experience. Going to bed at night, not being sure if she would be alive when mm-hmm. I woke up in the morning. Tell us about your sister. She, I miss her every day. She was the best. She... Because this is the sister at the age of 30, the year you turned 30, passed away. Right before my 30th birthday. I was 29 when she died. And my 30th birthday happened a few days later. And it was very sad. So tell us about her growing up. Thanks. Yeah. She was so, you know, my sister had like, this 
gigantic heart, literally and figuratively. Mm. And she literally, it, it, it's really what killed her. Um, they didn't do the surgery that they commonly do now on children when she was born. It's like hands down right away, something they do. When they brought my, my beautiful sister to my mom, they said, you, you gave birth to a mongoloid, which is what they call Down's kids when they were born. So my sister has Down syndrome. And if you've ever been, if you've ever met or been loved by somebody with Downs, it's one of the most special kinds of love you can ever experience. Mm, how's that? It's, it's because they don't see you, they don't see you the way the world sees you. They love you for this, I, I call them like a litmus test. If you want to know if somebody's a good person, mm. have, have a Downs person meet them and you just know. Wow. Really? <laughs> Cuz they hug you and you and there's like they'll they'll melt into you if you're if you're lovable. You know, if you're lovable and vulnerable to a degree that you could really cool. really and maybe I'm maybe I'm putting people in a cardboard box like you're a certain this kind of way or not, but I uh, I'll run into people and I'll instantly like them and and there's certain things that maybe are really really common about people that I always really like. Maybe they've had somebody downs in their life. Maybe they've lost a sibling. That's a really unique thing. Um, or they've had some like deep care in their home as a child, especially an elderly person or a sibling, you know, special needs person in your life really shapes you a certain way. So, so childhood, I mean, I, I, I turned on a lot of oxygen tanks. We, we called her Bertha, the oxygen tank, really? and it would you clink, 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 clink everywhere we went. And there was six of us, four kids. So we were quite the show. We were Jeez. late everywhere all the time, always late. And Bertha was clinking behind us. <laughs> and people were staring. That's funny. And you just kind of like waved. Leaf spent a lot of time being kind of a caretaker. As That's well. true. Yeah, uh, not not that much. Uh, but yeah, no. When I was a, a junior in high school, I moved across town and took care of my grandmother, mm. who had Alzheimer's, and it was kind of the last two years. So I kind of took care of her at the end. But it was like you were just like visiting. No, and like bedside, you were like no. It was, uh, it was you were like full, moved. Yeah, and, moved. Yeah, I moved out of my house. Which when you're 16, you're like this is amazing. And it was kind of before everything went downhill. Um, but yeah, she uh, changing diapers type. Yeah, yeah, a lot. Yeah, a lot of diapers, and yeah. I was there every night, night shift, and all day Sundays and stuff. It's quite quite a journey. Not not like a full marathon of, but two full years for sure. It's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. It changes sort of everything about how you feel about people. And and I think for maybe you could speak to this too, but like the when it's an everyday, like anyone can do an afternoon with someone like that, um, which is good, but it's a very different pace to take care of someone for a year or two years or their lifetime. At some point you think it's never going to end. And that sounds cold to somebody who's never experienced it. Sure. But I remember... My aunt saying, "No, this is this is really it." When she was about to die, and but she was sitting up in a bed eating a burger for my dad, <laughs> a burger and, oh and diet coke, and she died the next day. Wow! Oh. And I and I went downstairs and I just was like, I can't do it anymore. Mm. I can't watch her resurrect over and this happened my whole geez. life. You know, I I went to bed as a nine year old thinking many times she wouldn't. Right. Wake up that coming back from school, the phone would ring at a weird time my whole life. It's still, if it wing, rings at a weird time. I, yeah, you're like, what's wrong? I My heart rate goes yeah. boom, straight up. I mean, yeah. it's just immediate. Yeah. But that's when you live in that sort of like constant, it's 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 like. A, yeah. No, I, the, the week after my girl, it was like this burden I didn't, not a burden, but this weight that I didn't know I was carrying because I just got mm -hmm. used to it. You just put, like, you sort of, um, numb isn't the right word, but there's, like, a self-defense, like, focus that happens. Oh, yeah. And once that was taken away, it was kind of like, oh. Whoa. And, it, like. And the clock still ticks, and the, the mail still comes, and you forgot your keys for the 19th time in the car, and people are like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. And you're like, I'm grieving. 
So you grew up with, what's her name for the record? My sister, mm -hmm. Liz. Okay, so you grew up with Liz, and Liz, you're 29. So how old was Liz when she passed away? She was 47. 47? No, no, sorry, 30, 37. 37. 37. So you, you're growing up, sounds like in a religious home, mm -hmm. um, sister with Downs, and you're kind of like the, the go-to sibling caretaker or? Well, yeah, my sister, my oldest sister is 10 years older than me. And then I had a brother too, but I became really for her, I was really her main caretaker other than my parents. And, and I, we, I loved her. I mean, we like really loved each other. So, so one of our bonds was figure skating. She was ob obsessed with figure skating. So she wore a little skate and, and a little angel. Like on a necklace. A, a necklace. And, and when she died, I took it off of her and I put it on. And I've, I've worn it almost every day since. So you almost always see the little angel and the little skate on my neck. So she, yeah, so my childhood, uh, skating ended up being a great outlet for me. I tied up my skates, and this was me. This is my time. Oh, this is who I was, the ice, the sound of the ice. The, I think one of the reasons that I, I was excellent at working at, at it was because it's there was a repetitive nature to the sport. There's a ton of precision, and so you have to be super focused, and you don't have to worry about what will I come home to? Right. So I was, because I was going to ask, you have like caretaker role and skating and pursuing it, not just recreationally. That sounded like a lot of work, but it sounds like your skating for you was kind of almost the opposite of work or did it still feel like, like a sanctuary? A lot of... I loved skating. Yeah. I love skating. I was just on the ice the other night because really? I'm going to be in the 40th anniversary of our Burnsville Ice Show in two weeks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I did an axle, no big deal. Don't break a, a hip. Double sow cow. Listen, hips I'm not are fragile. 80 yet. Your hips are fragile, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so 30 rolls, 29, 28 rolls around. So what's happening? Um, I know a little bit about your story to the, to the point that when Liz dies, you are like, oh my gosh, things are changing. Like a lot of a lot of change happened. Some of it's because I think you decided to make some changes. Some of it's because it sounds like just this big life event takes place that's not in your control. But before you get there, when you're looking at 29 going on 30, were there like little things, but, but like you leave home, you get married, big life stuff, but what was going on during that period, like 20s, where, like, what types of changes and shifts were happening where you're not in the house with Liz anymore, you're not pursuing professional figure skating anymore, you're figuring out life, having kids, all that stuff. Like, what was going on with you? I look back and I think, does, does my world, does the world change and so I change? Or do I change and so the world changes? I don't know if the chicken comes before the egg mm. or the egg comes before the chicken. Well, it's, it's it's clearly, clearly the egg. The, uh, clearly, I have no idea. Do you ever see that Do you guys watch Flight of the Concords? Yes. Do you ever see that Flight of the Concords up where they will argue about chicken and egg? Oh, yeah. Expose Murray to so the funny. concept. Classic chicken and egg. I can't do it. And Murray's like, that's a stupid question. <laughs> and like, they ask him, which one comes first? And he's like, well, that's, that's clear. The chicken. Oh. Uh, oh. <laughs> so funny. I love them. I love them so much. They make me laugh so hard. <sighs> I, you know, I look back at that time and I think that was so hard. Let's bring in too that 2007 was the market crash. Yeah. Oh, same time. Well, this was like, I mean, we're talking like three years, two and a half, two years prior to my sister's passing. So big things are changing um, in my marriage, in the economy of the world. We buy our first house. We actually bought my parent, my my husband's parents' house. Oh, weird! Cool. It was. It's weird, it's weird and cool. Or is it cool? Weird and cool one. is both. Totally what it was. Weird yeah. and cool because my husband's dad mm -hmm. committed suicide in that house. Oh yeah, it's weird now. That's weird. Yeah, now and, it's just weird. And cool because we still wanted to be there. Yeah. You know, oh. so how can you be in that house and how can you? So yeah. I'm tucking my son into bed one night 
And I said, buddy, you know, you're getting big. You're kindergarten. This is big, big time, big time, big deal stuff. Yeah. yeah. Going to school. It's like, what if, you know, what if you got the big room and mom and dad went downstairs? And my husband overhears me. And I come out of, of my son's bedroom and he says, what don't you get about the fact that this isn't, I don't want to stay here. Uh, and like, that was a huge thing. Wow. Market crash. We have no money. We're house poor. It's really house poor, super uh, house poor husbands back in ministry, which isn't known for its financial gains as far as. Not, a, not so much. Yeah. Not or in, or general enjoyment. It's hard. It's hard, hard thing. And so that all kind of, I feel like if I look back, that was kind of like this moment where I was like, what? Mm. This house, this, my parents live an, a mile and a half away. I live a mile and a half from the ice arena that I work at. Then Whoa. I loop back to my sisters to see my sister before I go home. Mm. This is such a hard time. I feel like my, I was torn in many directions. I was a daughter. I was a wife. I was a mom. I was a sister. I was a caretaker. I was a coach. I was a trainer. I was epically f- sort of failing at all of it, I felt mm. like, at the time. So you, this, this one memory of you and your husband having this conversation about, let's not stay in this house. So that, like, it sounds like that was a, a small, like, maybe a small chink in the armor of, like, what, this, maybe, maybe this isn't working. Yeah. Were there other moments like that where you're, like, just things that really stuck out where you can look back and say, oh, something shifted in that moment? Yeah, I, uh, there was a moment actually with my partner that I was coaching with at the arena, and I really felt like both of us were coming to a place where we either needed to keep doing this or stop doing this with our students, with where we were at with those kids and their lives. And the idea of not coaching anymore, the idea of not being a caretaker, my sister's in her last, you know, really she was on hospice at that point she's like one of the record holders for hospice of course because she's the 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 ever living woman you know nine months on hospice her second time in hospice on her life in her life so i mean she's amazing she good grief she really she really kept us on our toes um but so she's failing and 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 i saw that moment with with my my co-coach and i think I just like my eyes went, I, I, I opened my eyes mm-hmm. and it was a moment of who, who am I? What am I doing? Because coaching wasn't fulfilling anymore or what was going on there? I think there was a, there was a moment where I realized I wasn't going to be able to continue being another piece of my identity was, was being a mom and, and I can't, couldn't be a mom and a good coach at the same time for, for what Why? I wanted. What was going on? merely that I left the house at three o'clock in the afternoon and Uh, came home at 8 p.m. And little Mr. Kindergartner never saw his mom. Right. So it was pretty, like, that was a pretty black and white. It wasn't like a more of a philosophical, I'm not sure if I enjoy coaching. It was more like I can't be the mom I want to be and be a coach. There was one other thing with the coaching, the, the United States Figure Skating Association or United States Figure Skating was changing some regulations about coaching and some rules and some a lot of hoops that were going to have to be jumped through. Mm-hmm. And I really needed to make a choice. Was I, was I going to be a Bachelor of Science in kinesiology and be the science nerd that I really love being? Because mm-hmm. you were in college at this? No, no uh, but, but my degree... Oh, got it. Is really this heavily biology-based background, okay. and I love chemistry, okay. science, cell biology, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah. And I couldn't. I, that wasn't going to be happening. I wasn't going to be talking body chemistry and such in the skating realm yeah. as much as there were maybe opportunities for that. But so there was an external factor that sort of forced some kind of a decision, and or maybe helped you look at it from a new angle. Like, am I really willing to put this much effort in? What would have happened, do you think, if that, if that would have, the rules just stayed the same and it was status quo? It maybe wouldn't have forced my hand so much. It maybe wouldn't have. Do you think you could have, do you think you might have been like, because what I'm hearing is you're saying, I'm glad I wasn't coaching anymore. I like, that's, that's, that's suggesting that you like where you're at now compared to then. So maybe we'll get to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. But, are you, would you have quit anyways, do you think? 
yeah, I think that I couldn't, I, I, I really had to think about, that was the first seed that has, has now grown into what I would say a forest of values for mm-hmm. me. I was forced to really put my money where my mouth is and say, I really care about being this, being a good mom means this. Right. That is no judgment on anybody else's decision on how to be a good parent. But for but you, it was for like me, physically present, consistent time. Physically, home after school. Got it. Physically, home-cooked meal. Physically, dinner table. Eating family meals is a important value to me. Okay, that's great. So. Those are all stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're a bloody idiot. <laughs> but that is that is a that definitely the choices that I make a family meal. Yeah. Is is of of no I can't, I can't do that because right. I won't be able to. Got it. Sit around a dinner table with my family. It means so much to me. And that was that was probably I'm not gonna say probably. That definitely was the. I saw. I saw that. I was like, "What do I really want?" Yeah. And I don't want to end this this journey, this small period of time in my life where I'm raising these kids and say I didn't get to do that. Yeah. Do you do you miss do you miss um, do you miss like skating, coaching skating? Yeah. So it was a hard, it wasn't like a, oh, I'm done. It was like, crap, I have a value that has now superseded this one and I, I've yes. got to, wow, mm-hmm. that's intense. When you tell people who deeply love you and you've been in their child's life since the first, since they were three to 12, oh, geez. You, you have to have a, a simple, when you decide to make a change, you ha- I feel like the only way to really get the guts to do it is to be able to boil it down to one sentence. And your sentence was, I have to spend more time with my kids. My sentence was, because I can remember it, uh-huh. my family's needs are now making me unable to meet your child's needs. Got it. It's a very well-crafted sentence. I thought about it a <laughs> How very three of you. How, uh, how did that go over? That. They were so supportive. That's great. Right? That is great. How could they not be? How because, dare you? Well, but they understood <laughs> that their child's needs, they wanted their child's needs met too. Sure. And I told them, I can't do that for mm-hmm. your child anymore. Mm-hmm. I cannot mm. do both. For me, I, could, I couldn't. So you're, so this is happening, Liz is happening and right around this time if i'm not mistaken so there's a couple more things that you moved you moved away from your family and you took the enneagram test that was like oh my gosh yes this is the box that i've been in what's happening yes so talk about that like the change that occurs and then what was so what's the big difference between katie now and katie pre like katie pre 30 and Katie post 30. But what what happens then? So like, I can't do coaching anymore. That's really hard, really tough decision. I resign. You resign. I resign. We transition all of our students, my partner and I, we, we sort of, I pack up my stuff. I sell my home on one side of the city near the ice arena right by my parents because you guys like house we don't want this house anymore we're house mm-hmm. poor and this is my sister passed in december and i'm moving now in june did you put it on the market after she passes i was looking at a potential home to buy mm. basically like the day that she was passing away and the like underpinning desire to leave that house was what was it still like we can't be where my husband's dad Died? I, I, I was, it was a, it was a huge shift of saying, we're not these, we're not these kids anymore. We're going to be, he and I really, he, when he said, what don't you understand about the fact that I don't want to 
be here? What don't you understand about the fact that my dad died in this house? What don't you understand about the fact that, that I, I, this is not really my home Mm -hmm. and it was my home. It was my home. I loved that home. Uh, That for me was a moment of going, okay, where, what is home? Another, another seed. In a seed of a value. A value. My oh. a home is where my where my husband is, mm. and that really bonded us in a way that we had never. Home was still. I could still go to my parents' house and snuggle up on the couch and fall asleep, oh. and not go home to him. That's so interesting because we. I left home, left left home when I was. I had just turned seventeen, and I left to go play hockey. And it was like, I was living in strangers' homes. There was no. Right. And I haven't been back really since. And then when I got married, also was nowhere near family. And mm-hmm. then we moved to, as you know, to the East Coast for 10 years. And there, so like, had never had that experience of like needing some physical separation and like redefinition of home. It was always kind of this like, you are well, nowhere. we're home. Like, we're you and me. That's what. Right. That's what home looks like. And we didn't buy a place either. So it was never, we never could rely on our apartment mm-hmm. to be like, well, this is home. It's like, well, do you want to stay another year? Do you want to renew the lease? What do you yeah. want to do? So it's fascinating that like, that that occurred for you around 29 where you're like, okay, there has to be some like, physical redefinition of home of now. Home. City-wise, home, home as in proximity I'd always lived in this like triangle of yeah ice arena parents house right my house which was my husband's parents house literally a mile and a half everything was it was very I was about to use the word suffocating and that's not true it was just it was a it was a phase that was all encompassed by my sister's presence yeah and I read, she wrote a letter with her grief counselor as she was in hospice. And her letter, the way I read it, because it was written to me, so how I read it matters. Not what some, maybe somebody else would read, but, but what I read was she said, you did it. You were always oh, there. Oh, wow. And I feel oh. like in that moment, she gave me permission. <sighs> Maybe she didn't give me permission, but I felt permission to move on. And so I did. And I moved. Jeez, that is so powerful. Wow. And. At this point, but I just have like a meta level question. When you share something like that, because there's like a small part of me that's like, I think I, I could cry right now. Are you like, I'm just locking it down emotionally and I'm going to hold it together and there's no feelings to be had here? Or is it like you've worked through it so much that you're like, I can tell this story and it's beautiful because now I see tears coming yeah. in your eyes. So like, what, <laughs> like, Is that what goes on when you tell that? Because that's incredible. That's like, yeah, I, wow. The whole thing was incredible. So I'm going to rewind for a second. She wrote us these letters she was about nine or 10 mentally. So there's this sweet innocence to all the mm. things that she would say and do. And I, I can't even tell you how much I needed what she said to me. Wow. And the way that I found that letter was she died December 14th and we knew there were letters. We thought they were going to come in the mail. We had no idea when we would see them. And I just happened to stop by my parents' house that morning of Christmas because we were with my husband's family that Christmas, which was really hard. Mm. So I just really wanted to be with my family yeah. when, you know, when we right. just lost her. And yeah. I went to my stocking. I don't know why. I was at there there just we were picking up cinnamon rolls and slush before we hit the road and uh, and I found that letter. We found our letters in our stockings. She had put them in her Christmas. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. She put them in in her, in <laughs> that her stockings. Is amazing. Jeez, Katie. I think that I can so I, a- I've really processed what happened on a on a level that's felt 
I've had, when you make big changes in your life, I think you have to go back a lot of times and, 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 and narrate, keep narrating to yourself your story so that you don't think you're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why did I do that? Why did I? Or what happened? Just like, what happened? Yeah. Because you're so in it. Yeah. You can't even see. I look back at all those pieces and I see this puzzle that was, that was kind of dumped onto a table mm-hmm. before I even knew that I wanted to put it together. Pieces of my childhood, pieces of my identity that I didn't know. And so, so I, so I got this, this permission note in my yeah, mind from amazing. my sister who I had spent my whole life really caring for. Um, and ended up resigning from coaching, you know, I, this yeah, apex yeah. of motherhood and Jeez. and and what and a wife, who I am, who am I as a wife, who am I as a mother, who am I as a daughter now? Wow. I what strikes me about it is probably you too, Leaf. I don't know because we talked a lot about some of the changes that we've gone through. Is man, I I wish that I would have gotten a permission slip like that. Like, that's really amazing and beautiful. The pain, I'm sure that that type of permission slip isn't great because of why it occurred. But there's been so many changes that I've gone through that were hard to decide, amorphous, ambiguous. Mm -hmm. Like, you're just grabbing onto whatever... Sliver. Like whatever sliver of clarity that feels rational and logical that's combined with your gut. And you're like, okay, I'm going with this. But to have this permission note that's like, you are allowed to now change these things, almost sounds, it sounds like almost attractive in a weird way, considering what the context is. Was it like, so like, do you think you would have gotten there without it? Like, how long would that have taken? I would have, I would have gotten there without it because I felt what she told, she told me what I already knew. I already knew it, but... And maybe that's why I read it with the voice that I yeah, read it with. Because sure. I think sometimes if I wanted to preface, preface this permission slip was, well, that's how I read it. And I feel like I have to defend it maybe. Huh. And I don't know if that's because I feel like what you're saying, you're grasping at this, like, am I being rational? And that's the person inside me that wants, feels like I need to explain myself yeah. to other people. Yeah. I need to justify my decisions yep. to other people. I need to justify them to myself. Mm-hmm. And so. I think that's a big one where you, you make a big change and I don't think any, I would like to meet the person who made a huge change and then it worked out flawlessly so I can punch them in the face because I don't think that ever happens. No. And, and when it doesn't, you do like, you're talking about your narratives. You sort of do need to be able to look back and say, like, it's incredibly, it hurts to look back and say, I may have made the wrong decision. I'm like, what if I, to even open your mind and the aperture for the idea that you did make the wrong decision. And then, but also then to be like, but I made the decision I could with the tools that I had and who I was at the time. So you not only, like, I find that I don't only have to narrate the decision, but also narrate the real context of the decision. Here's who I was and what information I had, because, yeah, I would maybe slightly alter that decision knowing what I know now. Not even, like, I could see the future, so I'm going to not do that decision again, but more like, well, I probably wouldn't have made a call. Like, it's really hard to stay in the moment of, like, I'm not going to judge myself for making that decision mm-hmm. because... It's really hard not to judge yourself. It's not hard. It's really hard not to judge others. It's really hard not to judge yourself. It's way more fun to judge others. It is kind of entertaining sometimes. Way, way more lie. fun way than more judging fun. yourself. Judging yourself <laughs> is never fun. Which is a great segue to... Yes. No. Terrible. <laughs> 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 so refocusing in on this narrative, right? So I'm putting these pieces together sort of in hindsight of, wow. So I moved across the city, which was actually really, really hurtful to my parents. They had lost their daughter, and now their other daughter was moving across to this city, which my husband's cold response at one time was, was like, could have moved to go, we could have moved to Colorado. It's like, that is not helping the situation. I mean, they just lost their daughter, their you other daughter that, who- you that to your parents? <laughs> I, just to you? Uh, yeah, just to me. Okay. 
And I was like, never say that again. Like, you don't know what it's like to bury a child. So, mm-hmm. so. It must have been a, night, a fun night for it you was guys. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want some ice cream? <laughs> ice cream always helps in those situations. Just Does it have stevia? Always. Stevia-based <laughs> Organic ice cream? stevia. Oh, <laughs> So you take the Enneagram and then you leave or you leave? I feel like there's a... I'm in my new house taking this Enneagram test because I'm telling this, I'm working on just sorting through who am I now or because who was gone. I or I'm really, my, my identity my, is all crushed. I was a caretaker. I was a coach. These two things were... Those were big pillars for you. Big pillars for me. I'm no longer coaching. I, I'm no longer even in the skating world, um, really. And I, which is just really hard to believe that they could so easily forget about me, Yeah. <laughs> which I'm not saying that really happened, but that's what it felt like is just people, you know, you move and people move on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my yeah, neighbors, you right. my neighbor's moving and yeah. I'm going to feel the loss of her presence, but somebody else will move in and she'll be in a new place and, and we'll still keep the yeah. mail still comes and the clock yeah, keeps ticking. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm kind of discovering self-discovering and I run across the Enneagram on a recommendation from my beautiful elder sister who just is been just charged a great path for me. Uh, my self-discovery. She's, she just loves me. So she just thinks it's great for me to, and just for the, me. for the record, this is a different elder sister, elder sister, yeah. two elder sisters. Right, yeah. yeah. So my elder, my elder so sister, she's Victoria, What's that? She says, hey, take the Enneagram. I can't remember if I said I want to take the Enneagram and she said, oh my gosh, you should do that. Or if she said you should take it. I can't remember. How did you get in that stream? I'm curious because that's not like, so the Enneagram too, as far as I know it is, it's hundreds of years old and it has a very Eastern philosophy bend. I have a lot of Eastern interests uh, holistically. So because of your training, because of because of my interest in holistic care and mm-hmm. functional medicine and um, how yeah. the body really can write itself with the right tools, nutrients, opportunities, personal trainer, personal trainer slash nutrition coach. Yeah. I mean, it's cool what the body can do. So. A lot of that type of stuff makes sense to me. Sure. Um, so when the Enneagram came along, it felt like it felt really pretty right. normal and natural. It felt natural, and I really liked the idea of it. I didn't like it, and I liked it. I took the test. What did you What did you get? I got a two, which is the helper. Mm-hmm. And most people would go totally. They would totally go, yeah, that's Katie. Absolutely. The internet says the helper is the caring interpersonal type, uh, demonstrative, generous, people-pleasing, and possessive. That's the simple version. Yeah. So the Enneagram, you get this like you get this list of things that you are possessive. What is what does that mean? Well, in my broken version of myself at the time, I cho I choose certain words to be positive or negative. You could say possessive isn't necessarily bad. a bad thing yeah. it, you you be incredibly loyal as a possessive personality type sure um That's very tough. very intuitively uh you take a lot of ownership in people and things because why did i choose to look at the word possessive and say bad did you choose to look at it that way? I did not like the word possessive. I mean, there's it's, a not lot a, of, it's not a fun word to hear for sure. In there's a lot of things I didn't like about Enneagram and what I especially didn't like was the way that I saw the digressive number. So two, you can, as a, as a two, as a anything, you sort of, there's like this enlightened version of yourself and there's this digressed version of yourself. And, and the levels are like, the top level is like you're basically doing unbelievably well, like top of the pyramid, Maslow's house, so self-realized. And the bottom is like you're probably killing someone. It's that extreme. Like it goes through nine levels of within each yeah, any within The each. bottom is like you're maybe a sociopath or you may be yeah. in jail right now. Yeah. And so a helper at its lowest level is extremely – it's all about – for me, when I read it, it was about intent – I, I would ultimately, as a helper, be helping people 
with either a pure intent or a narcissistic, this points back to me, aren't I so great intent. And I didn't, I really, I, I was shaken to the core. What shook you so hard about it? I don't want to be like that. Like the possessive, like? Yes, that is so scary to me. Mm. And I can see her. I've met her. She's, a, she is, she's scary. I've seen her a few times, many. I've seen her too many times. Um, and, and I don't like her. And I, I decided, you know, I've, I really need to do things for the right reason only. Say yes, but say it, say it yes only when it really is the right reason. I think I can look back and see the changes that I made all were for pure-hearted reasons, for the right reasons, and I think as I went forward into this new life, I sort of had, or this, I want to say like this next level of yeah. sort of That's new fair. identity. Sounds like it. I, I wanted to be the best version of me that there was. I don't want to be anybody but me, and I want to be the best me I can be. I'm laughing because there's going to be a reveal later about the Enneagram, and what you just said is so perfect. <laughs> I know, it's so funny. But what, in as practically as you can, Pre-30, post-30, like the best version of you, how did that look different as, you, as far as you were understanding it at that time? You got... Here's a huge one. Um, if somebody said something negative to me previously, my thought would have been, gosh, well, I probably deserve that. I probably did something that made it sound a certain way to them that I could see where they were coming from. I, I could see how they would say that about me because... I probably gave them permission to do that for some mm -hmm. reason. Um, basically, I was, and, and I still revert back to this often, and I have to pull myself out of this. I was, I was um, allowing a perpetration to be appropriate, and I was, I was playing the victim mm -hmm. all the time. That was my identity. I was a, I, well, because I'm a punching bag, people punch me. And so I'm just going to try to be a better punching bag. I'll try to be a tougher punching bag. I'll tape that broken corner up. And, and, and maybe I'll move out of the way a little bit. Even though I still am a punching bag, I'll move out of the way a little bit. Wow. And I think you, going back to like caretaker mode and you, you're in survival sort of. It's like a survival mode for a really long time. And, and so you don't, you just are trying to kind of get by. Yeah. And you don't you, have time to visit your feelings on those topics. You're like, oh, God, I got punched in the face. I don't have time to deal with getting punched in the face. I got to figure out a way to not get punched in the face. I got to figure out how to not get punched in that, the face is mm -hmm. really the thing. and mm -hmm. Or get a tougher face, right. wear a harder mask. You know? In your world, and, and I want to be really careful because it's not... Liz was not abusive, but there is a correlation of like the abusive relationships where it's like, well, if I just wouldn't talk so much, he wouldn't hit me. Yeah. Like there's, but that's kind of like, well, it's Liz, she can't change. No. She's not gonna be able to do anything. There's a real limit to her capacity to change at all. So I gotta be the one to figure out how to shift. And part of the reason that the poison was so probably uh, potent mm -hmm. was because it wasn't. A bad thing. My sister's sister wasn't ever a bad thing, and that's a lot of people's story. What they were involved in that created their situation. None of it was necessarily bad, but it was it was reinforcing a nar a narrative, a bad mm -hmm. story you tell about yourself. I am a caretaker. I need to make myself smaller. I'm sorry. Did I get in the way? Oh, I did that wrong. How can I fix myself so that it's easier for you to be who you are? Those are all things that it was really easy for me to be. Um, so, so post self discovery, working on trying to. So now, I somebody would say something bad to something. Somebody would say something bad, maybe to me about me and 
in my best version of myself, and I like to say that most of the time I'm able to say, it's really hard not to take that personally. Yeah. It's the first thing I admit to myself. Like, it's fair. That, that's hard not to take personally. They must have been having a bad day. And just let it go. Versus trying to change myself or make it okay that they said that to me and accept that they said that to me. Just, just take it on you. Yeah, it doesn't. It, so you're it, able to put it on them. It can it can roll off. Yeah, it's about it's about them. It's not about me. It still, maybe maybe making some excuses for them, but definitely a still making move. Definitely in the right still direction, making right? excuses for people because I feel like it's, it helps me to forgive them. Uh huh. Still. Yeah, I like to forgive people. So, you, like, if someone does something bad to you to this day, you'll be like, they must have been having a bad day. There's not a part of you that's like, wow, that was a real dick thing and that's inexcusable. Most of the time I, I, I find a way to make it right. Got it. So you are having, sounds like really, like, wonderful healing around not taking stuff personally. Try not to take things personally. Right, yeah. so that's happening. How how does that start to shift? The, like you, you're now becoming more and more successful at your job. You're seeing your kids. You guys are in a new home. Mom's all mad at you because you're not the her caretaker anymore. Or some weird messed up. What's no, going on? No, that's that's pretty good. That's I feel what's like yeah. So, what's happening then post thirty that has where you start to continue down this path of like, who am I? And you said you'd started to plant some seeds of value. What were some of the other big, oh moment? I think they're aha moments. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that Minnesota. Is a different, that's a kind of different moment. It's uh-huh. Minnesota. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, regardless of the vowel, I think we all know what I'm getting at here. Yes, I know. Oh, yeah. Acceptance is a huge word of myself and others, just accepting myself and others. Accepting myself means that I feel like I have more capacity to accept others. can't say I'm a super big pro at it because I'm so hard on me. I had a really interesting conversation actually with Josh the other day about, really, do you, do you have to have grace towards yourself to have grace towards others? Yes. You say yes. We had a conversation about this. We're we totally had this conversation, and I agree with you. I'm like, I think you have to have grace towards yourself. Well, here's, but here's what I'm trying to articulate is that because you and I have a similar profile on like some of the core parts of the of the enneagram, for example. Yes. I think that that idea that I think the 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 like slight nuance I would put on it is that. I don't think you have to have grace for yourself or others to treat them with grace. Because I think what you're saying is that like you could get punched in the face over and over and you would still be like treat them with ultimate grace. Now, at the same time, beating yourself up to no end for being punched in the face. Mm -hmm. So I think the nuance is like, for me anyways, I wonder if you want to feel grace towards someone and feel like if you want your emotions to match your actions, then I think you do have to really be able to be self-forgiving and love yourself and all those things and be very kind to yourself and be self-compassionate. But I think it's a bit of a misnomer because it's like, that was hard for me because I'm like, yeah, thank you very much. Punch me in the face again. I like, I'd like another one. And I would, I was like always so kind and nice to other people when that happened. And yet, no grace from zero grace for myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, does the subtlety make sense? Yeah, I see what you're saying. How right would you say I am on a Mm, chicken or egg kind of thing? Right, it's tough to say. I don't think you're, but I think having grace for yourself is the better, preferred, more fulfilled version of that. But yeah, I think you can get by survival mode. Right, and yeah, yeah, I think. I think, to, to be clear, I'm not saying like, oh yeah, grace for yourself is dumb. I think it's incredibly important. But I think one of the contexts also we were talking about this like, is in the context of perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Is you're like, I just have to have more grace with myself. <laughs> Where it's like, well, that, um, that's not, I don't know about, that's not the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like more. More better. Yeah, so you can still be loving and kind and gracious to others with still being a dick to yourself is what I'm saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Pardon my language. 
Gosh. So what were some of the other big, like, did you read a couple? Because you talked about acceptance and stuff. So there's like kind of an enlightening happening. Did, did other, like, did someone, there were other people stepping in your life or books that you came across or defining moments where you're like, oh, another big, like, puzzle piece to use your well done metaphor or analogy? I don't know, I get those mixed up. I think for me, it always starts with a wrestling in my heart. I feel, I feel, uh, like, uh, discontent, I guess, or a, something's not right. How come, how come I can't get past this old pattern? And recently I've been drawing on conversations about what I'm doing, my life, this, you know, you make all these changes and then you're still just in the midst of, gosh, what am I doing with myself? And, and I come across this, this level of discontent where the, really the other day, Josh and I, again, in another great conversation, we're talking about uh, what's more important to you. Do you want to be loved or do you want to be valued? Um, and for some people, they would say, well, what's the difference? Or isn't that the same thing? Or some people would say, no, 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 there, there's, mm-hmm. there's no there is no difference, mm-hmm. really. And I would say I've been very confused my whole life probably about which thing I really am wanting more in my life, love or value. And which one you're actually experiencing. And which one I'm actually experiencing. Right. Yeah. How would you separate them? Because there's obviously overlap, but how would you, in your mind, how do you separate the, those ideas? I don't, think, I don't think I can really, but what I can do is... is look at which which emotion from someone probably gives me an authentic fulfillment. Um, I think when people value you, maybe there's action involved in value. And for me, that is a huge empowering and motivating yeah. feeling. Somebody really values me. They want to hear what I have to say. They want to. They want to. So they're going to really say like, do what I recommend. Yeah. They really yeah. want like to respect. Is definitely more respect. I think. That's kind of a good word. They're like, at the end of a session with a with a client, if they say, "I just love spending time with you," that's like, "Oh, that feels nice." But if at the end of a session, they're like, "I just love the program you put together for me," the the latter is going to be more. Oh, that's fair. Let's see my, I did O again. That's like, that's a little bit more like you would interpret, the, like the latter scratches that itch of value a little bit more, right? Yes. So turns out I have a value itch. Yes, we all, many, many of us. Some, some. Not everyone does. Some people have a love itch more than they have a value itch, Josh. <laughs> so, so, okay. so I take the Enneagram again. Turns out I've got this more bend towards the achiever and I find myself being more accepting of that part of me of who I am who I who I have now stripped from my roles of my stripped from my environment and my roles have sort of come into this yeah realization that I I care about bringing value to the world more than I care about being loved. Last question. What would you want people to know about your specific type of change that they might not otherwise know? So we've talked about a lot of different kinds of changes. So maybe you could pick one of those. So the question is, what would you like people to know about your journey journey that like... I wouldn't call it advice necessarily, but something that may not be apparent. And you can pick specifically having a sister with Downs or more broadly or any of the above. I do think that uh, I have my sister's name tattooed on my wrist and people say, um, well, what is your, what's your next tattoo? Mm-hmm. And I often just quickly retort with, there's nothing else to commemorate. 
And so I guess if I was to choose something that was really the fabric of me and where I've been, she would always, it always comes back to her. It's so beautiful, Katie. And I'm so thankful every day for her. I miss her every day. So I want to be the best version of me because I had an amazing opportunity to have a life, a childhood that nobody gets to have. And um, that has shaped who I am as a mother and as a wife and as a friend. And so it always does come back to her. That's really beautiful. Thank you for saying that. You're welcome. Thank you so much for talking to us. Yeah. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been really fun. It was amazing. <laughs> it was really good. Ha, ha, ha.